Welcome to The Paleo View. I'm bestselling author and co-creator of realeverything.com, Stacey Toth. I focus on being healthy inside and out through real life, food, and talk. I'm Dr. Sarah Ballantyne, New York Times bestselling author and creator of thepaleomom.com. I'm passionate about improving scientific literacy around public health topics. I like hashtags and bone broth. And I'm just a super nerd. Welcome back to the Paleo View listeners. It's an interesting one for you today, friends. <laughs> um, hi, yeah, Sarah. Do we, to change, wait, do we need to change the title of the podcast for this episode? No, it's still our view on a weird situation. So I'm just going to jump into it. My nine-year-old is rebelling like a teenager. <laughs> Does it? Is it like third kid... Uh, rebel hits teenage rebellion earlier, like decides to sync with the oldest child, like perhaps. I don't know. Hmm. Let me just tell the public that Cole is pretty cool. Like, as far as teenagers go, I really enjoy his company, his sarcasm, his like super dry humor is he totally inherited your sense of humor. Amazing. Like, Mm -hmm. I just adore him and spending time with him. And Finian, they were working on, um, <laughs> beware, the show is about my children. No, <laughs> Finian, they were working on vocabulary in um, school and the word was gregarious. And the teacher said, that's Finn. He's happy and he loves to talk to everybody. So like, I don't want to not talk about my older children. So there you go. Each of you, when you listen to this later, you've heard something nice. Check and check. Check, check, check. But my baby, Wesley, I think we've talked on this show before about his bleeding heart and how he went through a period of time where he was really passionate about helping the homeless and we were feeding the homeless and um, we were donating to the shelter and like they did a lemonade stand and donated it to the shelter. Like he was really worried about the homeless for a while. And then once he learned about homeless shelters, he felt a lot better about it, but he wanted to help the shelters to make sure that they had the resources for the homeless people. Um, And one of the other things that he has been really passionate about for years has been talking about is consuming meat. And it's an interesting topic for me because I grew up vegetarian. I was vegetarian for seven years until I went to college And then I met Matt in our first date. He ordered a rare burger and the blood was dripping down his forearm. And I literally wanted to vomit. Like it was, it wasn't actually blood, but you know what I mean? Um, And clearly I've changed my tune on that, which is why we wrote Beyond Bacon. And I've done a lot of educating and sharing about humanely and sustainably raised animals and how important that is to our family. And so we've gone to a lot of farms and we've talked about this. Like Wesley is very well aware of it. And he's talked about going vegetarian a couple of times. And we've said, well, you know, that means no bacon. That means no burgers. (laughs) That means no chicken nuggets. And he's like, okay, never mind. Uh, But he asks questions all the time like, Um, Are eggs vegetarian? Are, you know, is dairy vegan? Like different kinds of things. And so um, thanks to YouTube, (laughs) I'm just, let me just uh, put a little like, um, and side note, 
he's no no longer having free access to YouTube. <laughs> um, he decided that he wanted to go vegan at least for seven days, and we went we went straight no vegetarian is yes, a stepping stone exactly straight to vegan and that's so I've been talking about pescatarian anytime that we bring it up because he really mm-hmm. likes fish and I feel very passionately and we'll get into the science about this that you can be very healthy and have a full um, micronutrient sufficiency with pescatarian I think agree I think it's harder and you have to be attentive to what it is you're consuming but Whenever I talk to people, because I actually do hear from a lot of vegetarians who are like re-emerging or um, people who are looking for more energy, more B12, like, and pescatarian is always what I recommend to them. If they're doing it for um, religious reasons, that's a little bit different, right? But like, if ethically, that's your thing. So anytime he's brought up vegetarianism before, I've talked pescatarian and been like if that's what you want to do like you know I'll help you we'll support it but that means no bacon and he's like oh no thanks so um, (laughs) he decided if he was going to do it he was going to like full-on vegan and um, it's seven days and I really genuinely think that on Sunday when I make bacon and pancakes and bagels with real cream cheese and smoked salmon which are all his favorite things um that he will consume it and his seven day challenge will be over. This is what, this is what I've convinced myself. But in the meantime, because I'm sharing about him doing this, I heard from so many people that their children also experiment with this. And I think, you know, as a parent, my philosophy has always been that children are their own people and they make their own decisions and they have control over their own body. And that extends to someone saying, I don't want to hug, um, to, this is what I want to put in my body. And so as much as it is like a complete rebellion against everything that we believe that he wants to go vegan, um, I do want to support that this is something that he has thought about for clearly a very long time. I mean, for a nine-year-old to, let's say three years, have been thinking about this. That's like a third of his lifetime. Um, And so... I decided I was going to support him in it, but that we were going to do education. And so I was talking to you about some of the education and the decisions that we're making this week. I think also knowing that it's a week is completely different from how I would approach it if it had, you know, if I was like months into this. And also if he was like 16 and like, I mean, I think it's a a very different, like, I think the conversation is very different with a kid who's old enough to like make their own food, like to have that level of determination Mm -hmm. of like, no, I'm for like, do you know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. as a nine-year-old, I think the conversation's a little bit different than what you have as a 16-year-old. And one of the things that I've always um, really admired about your parenting style is how much you empower your kids with choice. And that, I see this as being a very, like an extension of how you've always parented them. And you're basically helping Wes honor this, uh, thing that he's really passionate about while you're, you're talking to him about nutrients, right? It's all the nutrients, <laughs> all the nutrients that he's not getting. <laughs> yes. So, um, the first thing that we talked about, um, that I know we will tackle and touch on was protein. And so mm-hmm. I showed him a very simple graphic. I'd actually seen it on Rob Wolf's Instagram, but the source was somewhere else. And so, um, 
I showed him that graphic that was basically for 25 grams of protein, this is how much you need to eat across the board. And so it was like, you know, two servings of tofu, three servings of bean, and seven servings of nuts equals the same serving of beef. And um, Wesley is a petite child. Like he does not need to lose weight. Like he doesn't have weight to lose. And I want to make sure that he is not just getting nutrients, but is getting calories. Like if he just went to raw vegan, I that wouldn't be good for his body at all, even for just a week. So I want to make sure that he's getting protein to sustain muscle mass and that he's not going to lose that. Um, but I also want him to think about micronutrients. So, you know, I did also explain to him that long term, if he doesn't eat meat, that there are some nutrients that he can't possibly get from meat that humans do need, and that we would need to think about taking some pills and supplements if this was something he wanted to do long term. And he, when we went to the grocery store and went shopping, he did grab a bag of his favorite chicken nuggets that were on sale. And he's like, this is for later. (laughs) So I feel, I feel confident that it's short term. But if your child is not doing this short term, let me experience this thing um, and approaching it differently. That's why we're going to talk about specifically the science on, you know, the micronutrients and all the things that you need to think about. The other thing that I talked with him about is that Wesley is my paleo baby. He has never had any standard American foods other than, you know, gluten-free treats or that kind of stuff that our family has. Like, He's never fully digested beans and um, maybe occasionally some corn, but not like a significant amount of it. Um, He has never had gluten and is not doing gluten at all during this experience. So he's both like gluten-free and vegan, which makes finding things very difficult. Um, Obviously, all the meat substitutes um, are filled with a bunch of junk, (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) including gluten. So those were not an option for him. And so when we went to the store and we were looking at things that he could have, a a lot of them are bean-based or soy-based, which is not my favorite. There's a lot of research that we've talked about on the show before about especially young boys with an estrogenic soy-filled diet having um, long-term effects. And so Mm -hmm. I don't want him on a bunch of soy and I don't want him on a bunch of filler. um, Did you look at um, the ingredients of like the new miracle meats? Like I did. um, And there's actually looked to see what they're based on. Yeah. So um, the one that we ended up going with was a burger that was lentil based. And I'm sure Mm -hmm. you can talk about um, why lentils are are less problematic than others. Mm -hmm. Um, So I tried I tried to be thoughtful in that approach. Um, There was a lot of like canola oil in almost everything I was looking at, even hummus. Like, why would you put canola oil instead of like, there's already tahini in there. Just put a little olive oil. You don't honestly, it is Canada's most successful branding effort ever in the history of Canada. Canola oil? The success of it? Interesting. Yeah. So the can in canola mm. is oh, for Canada. I didn't and, know that. Oh, oh, let me, let me just I'm ready about my home country for a second and their amazing trickery of the world that canola is healthy. Yeah. So uh, canola oil is actually made uh, from a plant called rapeseed, which is not a name that is likely to ever be viewed in a positive <laughs> light. Nope. Kind of has some negative connotations there. 
Um, and it's <laughs> so uh, in the, I think it was like early 80s, like Canada went through this whole thing where they were like, we're going to call this oil, rapeseed oil, where they're going to call it canola oil. And it became like a global thing. So I knew, I knew that they were not sharing rapeseed oil, but I didn't realize that it was the Canada and canola oil. Anyway, that's so that's canola oil and hydrogenated oils are things that we try to avoid as much as possible. Mm-hmm. So um, a lot of these substitute meats, even if they didn't have gluten, they did have canola oil. So um, the burger that we went with was actually like a local brand that was a lentil based and it had a bunch of vegetables in it. Um, and I think brown rice was a binder and then um, did not have all the other junk. And I found a jackfruit barbecue meat substitute um, that did was not bean-based. So it's not adding any protein, but it did give him like uh, the concept of, you know, meat in a sa- satiating way. Um, he told me it was disgusting and didn't eat it. So <laughs> <laughs> there's that. Uh, but the thing that he really did like, and it like makes me cringe to say it. And so I'm just going to let you take over from here. Cause once it's out of my mouth, I'm going to need a minute to like emotionally <laughs> recover. I know the, where this is going. The thing that he loved, and I just feel terribly because I prepared it in the way that I know my mom prepared it when we were mm-hmm. growing up. That was my favorite way. I made it too good. I could have steamed it <laughs> to give mm-hmm. it to him the most disgusting way, like Brussels sprouts. Yeah. Then he wouldn't like it. But, um, so I pan fried tofu and he really likes it. He wants me to go back and get more because he's not eating the other stuff that we got. And I'm like bashing my head on a table right now. I'm, I'm just so ashamed and disappointed. <laughs> Womp womp. <laughs> but it only had like three ingredients in it. And so when I was comparing options, if his diet is not mostly made up of soy, I just was like, well, he needs protein. But oh gosh, I'm just, I'm at a loss. Go for it. Take it over. <laughs> um, okay. So what I want to sort of add to this conversation is um, the facts that you can have a conversation uh, using with whether it's a child, like a family member, a friend, like anybody who is thinking about going vegan. Because one of the things that the vegan community has done extraordinarily well is um, messaging. And so they have these amazing, you know, documentaries that are either pro-vegan or pro-plant-based diet. There's um, some misinformation in terms of the uh, impact to the global climate from meat. I mean, there and there's certainly, I think, a very legitimate argument to be made in terms of how meat-heavy the average American diet is. So if you look at the standard American diet, it's very, very full of refined carbohydrates and actually uh, dairy products, I think um, – the average American consumes something like 650 pounds of dairy products a year, uh, 270 or 280, something like that, pounds of beef per year. Like it's it's more than we actually need for our protein requirements. So there is part of this, uh, I think, conversation is acknowledging 
that uh, vegetables are really important and that we don't need to eat, you know, a 14 ounce T-bone three times a day in order to meet our protein requirements, but also acknowledging that there are nutrients we get from animal foods that we can't get from plant foods and vice versa, right? So we've done so many episodes uh, on this podcast about the importance of vegetables and eating a very like vegetable-based diet. Like I think of paleo as a plant-based diet, just not the trademarked plant-based diet because we also fully embrace animal foods and seafood and, um, or I said land animals and seafood. And, um, and so when we take that nutrient density sort of perspective and really look at the nutrients that we get from vegetables, fruit, nuts, and seeds versus, fish and, you know, beef and, you know, red meat and chicken, poultry, it, it really is important to, to the only way we can meet our nutritional needs is to consume from both major categories of foods. Um, we've already done an episode about humans as omnivores, and we can link to some really thorough blog posts on my site, um, in terms of, you know, making the, the very, very strong, case, basically, no matter how you look at it for humans as omnivores. So we're going to kind of skip over that and just say, well, look, like we, we need nutrients both from plants and from animals. And there's certainly plenty of nutrients that you can get sufficiently by, you know, either going vegan or going carnivore, but in either extreme, there is then a group of nutrients that you're missing out on. And I think that, um, we've spent so much time on this podcast trying to rein in, I think, this like subset of the paleo community that sort of naturally leans toward very, very meat-heavy diets and, and emphasize the importance of vegetables. And this is sort of our opportunity to to talk about the other side of it, talk about the flip side of the coin, where there's nutrients we get from animal foods that we either cannot get from plant foods or can only get from a very um, you know, limited list of sort of unusual plant foods or that it's very, very hard to get sufficient quantities of. And, um, I'm going to, you know, let, like, let's summarize what, what are those micronutrients that we could be potentially missing out on? Um, some things are things like heme iron. Um, heme iron is much more readily absorbed and used by the body than plant-based iron. Um, it's one of the reasons why anemia is a sort of common of like side effect of a long-term vegetarian or vegan diet. Um, there's also things like the animal form of vitamin A, so like preformed vitamin A, retinol, as opposed to carotenoids, which you would get from plants that your body has to convert into the animal form of vitamin A. That conversion is only about 3% efficient at best. That's assuming you don't have any genetic things that are going to reduce your efficiency of converting plant vitamin A into the vitamin A that we actually use in our body. So those are things that um, it, the form in animal foods are are better, but you can get a form in plant foods. Um, there's also things like zinc, uh, you know, the, the, all of the foods that are highest in zinc, which is the second most abundant mineral in the human body, um, and is like critically important for things like immune function, gut barrier function, skin barrier, lung barrier, I mean, all the barrier tissues. Um, zinc is a phenomenally important mineral 
for human health. And all of the best sources are, are animal foods. Uh, vitamin B12 is the most complex B vitamin uh, chemically. It's, um, back, some bacteria can synthesize it, including some bacteria that are normally uh, in the human gut, but it's about a 30-step like process for bacteria to produce it. And there's very, very few types of bacteria that actually have all of the enzymes needed to do all 30 steps. So it's a vitamin that you can get some made in your in your gut if you have a really healthy and diverse gut microbiome. Um, but it's as soon as, you know, you've got even a slight skewing of the gut microbiome, you might be missing a strain that does, you know, step 17. And then all of a sudden your gut microbiome can't form B12. Um, there's vitamin K2, which also our gut bacteria can synthesize. Um, but our food sources are all, uh, or almost all animal-based foods, um, vitamin D. So you can get vitamin D2 from mushrooms, but then your body has to convert it into D3. So the only food sources of D3 are animal sources. There's some really important healthy fats that, again, we're pretty much only getting from animal sources. So conjugated linoleic acid, which we've talked about on the podcast before, is a kind of unusual naturally occurring trans fat um, that is linked to... Um, lower rates of cardiovascular disease, lower rates of cancer, lower rates of obesity, and we're getting that from grass-fed meat and dairy. And then there's the long-chain omega-3 fats that we're mainly getting from seafood, DHA and EPA. Um, there's also, I think, some, some really interesting amino acids that are um, not used by our body to build proteins, but that actually have some important sort of signaling roles. And those are creatine, taurine, and carnitine, um, which anybody who's like spent any time in a gym, like hears those words and goes, oh yeah, like the bodybuilding supplement. So like creatine seems to be especially important for, um, for the production of cellular energy, especially in muscles. And it's known to help uh, build muscle, increase muscle strength, boost performance. Um, taurine is actually a really important amino acid for neurological development, um, but it's also utilized in the production of bile, which helps us digest fat. And carnosine is um, seems to be really important for um, reducing cardiovascular disease risk as well as um, just sort of a antioxidant um, type amino acid. So it's, it's feeds into the antioxidant system. So those are amino acids that we really, there's no plant version of those. Um, some of the other nutrients, I mean, this is where I think, um, vegans who, um, are, and I, I think awareness of micronutrients is really important for health in general. Um, vegans who are really trying to get their micronutrients, they'll often know to consume nutritional yeast as a source of B12. Um, but you can get some, there's some like additional supplements that you could take to, to make up some of these differences. So natto, which is a fermented soy, um, is, uh, and one of the only plant sources of vitamin K2. Um, and it's because the bacillus subtilis, um, bacteria that ferments the soy 
is one of the few strains of bacteria. It's actually a, a soil-based bacteria. It's one of the few strains that actually has all of the genes required to do all 30 steps in the um, production of B12 as well. So natto is also a source of B12. Um, you can get um, B12, again, from nutritional yeast, but also from shiitake mushrooms, which is really interesting. Um, nutritional yeast and nuts and seeds are a good source of... Or, a adequate source of zinc. Um, and then those long chain omega-3 fats, uh, DHA and EPA, you can get EPA from seaweeds and macroalgaes, and you can get DHA from microalgae oil, which is often, I mean, it's usually just labeled as algae oil, but there's a, a difference between like microalgae is single cell algae and macroalgae is basically seaweed. Um, they're multicellular, like sea plant things. Um, and then from a, you know, the other side of it is like the protein. So those amino acids, there's basically no way to get those from plant foods. Um, but protein requirements are an additional challenge on uh, a vegan diet because plants tend not to be complete proteins. So the word complete protein, and I'm using air quotes here, which I realize you can't see on an audio only podcast. Um, but um, a complete protein basically refers to a food that contains all nine essential amino acids. There's actually 20 amino acids that our bodies use to build all of the proteins that we have. The other 11, some of them are called um, conditionally essential, which means that in certain situations, we have to get enough from diet. In other situations, we can convert one amino acid to another and we're fine. And then there's ones that are basically considered non-essential, which uh, basically means that we can probably make enough of our own. We can't make all of the amino acids, but we can make, you know, some of the non-essential ones, or I guess all of the non-essential ones. We can do that chemical reaction and, and make our own and then use it to make proteins. So one of the things that is sort of a trick, and this is, um, it's relevant to vegetarian diets as well, is looking at combining foods in order to get all of those essential amino acids. And this does not take into consideration uh, what are called conditionally indispensable amino acids, so conditionally essential. So that's the classic, I mean, anybody who's spent any time around uh, vegetarians and vegans has probably heard of this, the sort of classic mixing of a grain and a legume. So like beans and corns is a classic, rice and like edamame is a classic. And that's because um, the legumes are very, very high in lysine, uh, one of the 20 amino acids, but low in methionine and cysteine. And legumes are the opposite. They're very low in lysine, but high in methionine and cysteine. So when you combine, say, you know, black beans and corn, you can get all nine essential amino acids. But it is um, also really hard from plant-based sources to get enough leucine, uh, yet another amino acid. Um, so that is another, like, classic supplement that is suggested for um, vegans, um, and especially because leucine seems to be really important for um, anabolic signaling, which basically means muscle building. So you um, can have more what would be 
termed wasting or like losing of muscle mass with leucine deficiency. So from an essential amino acid perspective, um, there's careful selection of food that can help to round out um, the amino acid um, intake. But the other typical recommendation is that um, vegans especially need to just consume more plant proteins in order to get enough protein. And that's in part because plant-based proteins are dilute, right? So if you think of the densest proteins um, in the plant kingdoms, right, something like dried beans, they are sort of at best about 30-ish percent protein. And the rest is like carbohydrates and, you know, including some cool, right, like lentils have a really compelling amount of resistant starch. Like they they are very, very high in fiber. Like there is some other worthwhile nutrients, especially in some legumes. Um, but as a dense source of protein, not awesome, especially if you think of like chicken breast is 80% protein. If you were to consume canned tuna, like a, a regular chunk light is like 94% protein. Um, so the amount of food, like Stacey, you were talking about three, you know, two cups of tofu to equal the one small serving of, of beef, um, or three servings of nuts, right? That that's because of the protein density. And then there's this whole other side of, of the protein challenge for vegans and vegetarians, which is what's called the digestible indispensable amino acid score. So our digestive enzymes are not particularly compatible with plant proteins. We're not very good at breaking them apart. Um, we are much better at breaking apart proteins from animal foods. And there's been um, this move in recent years uh, to create this score uh, called the, the Digestible Indispensable Amino Acid Score, or DIAAS, which um, actually looks at how much of the protein is wasted um, through the digestive tract. So how much is still in fecal matter at the end of the small intestine um, compared to starting and compared to, right, like comparing plant food versus animal food. And um, the scores basically range from like zero would be something that is completely non-digestible. Something that scores a one is considered fully digestible. And there's actually some animal foods that score higher than one. So um, for example, um, beef is 1.1. Uh, chicken is 1.08. Fish is one. Um, and that basically means that the in an average human digestive tract, the protein is 100% digested. Uh, tofu has a score of 0 0.52. Uh, kidney beans has a score of 0 0.51. Peanuts has a score of 0 0.43. Um, uh, chick uh, chickpeas, garbanzo beans has a score of 0 0.66. So plant-based proteins, basically at best, about half of the protein is actually digested in fully in the digestive tract. And so that also implies that, you know, our protein requirements are related to our age, our gender, our activity levels, our health goals. 
And um, for, you know, a child who's, who's still growing, um, the sort of estimated protein requirements are about 1.5 grams of protein per kilogram body weight per day. Then you basically have to double it if you're assuming plant-based protein because um, only about half of that protein is actually being digested. Adults, by the way, um, the estimated protein requirements range from about 1.2 grams per kilogram body weight up to about 3.3 grams per kilogram body weight. So if you are um, active, if you're trying to build muscle, if you're trying to lose weight, um, all of those things increase your protein requirement um, or uh, your goals are more easy to to achieve with a higher protein intake. That might be a different way of sort of stating it. So for example, if you are trying to lose weight, you maintain more lean muscle mass through weight loss if your protein requirements are higher. So um, I personally aim for about two grams of protein per kilogram body weight per day spread out among three meals. And it really, it still is consistent with that idea of a vegetable-based diet and not consuming 14 ounces of T-bone at dinner, um, you know, getting that amount of protein basically is, you know, fairly straightforward considering three meals a day um, and, you know, relatively dense protein sources. Where it gets trickier is in the context of plant-based proteins, um, you know, I, I look at those numbers and I go, well, that's, you know, that's, that's a lot of food to consume to meet protein requirements. And then you're still in a situation where supplements are required for omega-3s, for B12, for, um, you know, probably zinc and vitamin D and nutrients that are just not going to be obtainable because even like if you were looking at a creatine or carnitine or taurine supplement, um, those supplements are the the supplements are derived from meat, so they're not compatible with a vegan philosophy. So, I I kind of want to like summarize this as I think the the main takeaway is that uh, you know humans are omnivores and there's nutrients that we get from animal foods that we can't get from plant foods, but that doesn't mean that we need to eat a ton of animal foods to meet our nutritional needs. And Stacy, like you were saying at the top, you can meet, you can get these nutrients from a pescatarian diet. So I see pescatarian as being a really good compromise. Um, in order to hit all of these nutrients, it really needs to include shellfish. So shellfish become your new organ meat um, because that's where you're getting the minerals, for especially for example. But shellfish is a, a really dense source of micronutrients. In the absence of animal foods, it's basically uh, impossible to achieve nutrient sufficiency even with supplements. And there's not really a good idea of what like happens if you're not getting enough creatine over your life, right? Like we understand the consequences of vitamin D deficiency. Zinc deficiency is linked to all kinds of, of health problems. Um, vitamin K deficiency is linked to health problems, right? Uh, you know, there's, we know 
um, omega-3s um, if you're not consuming enough, right? That's linked to increased risk of cardiovascular disease and depression and mental health challenges, right? We have a lot of science linking deficiency or insufficiency of these nutrients with increased risk of health problems. We don't necessarily for the amino acids, but one of the things that we, I think, I think it's very fair to say that the nutrients that are labeled as non-essential, that that term is very misleading because it, it means that you won't die if you're not consuming enough, right? Uh, an essential nutrient, if you're not consuming enough, you will have a disease of deficiency and or die. Non-essential nutrients, we don't have a disease of deficiency. Like we don't have a rickets of fiber, right? Or a scurvy of taurine. Uh, but that's different than saying that they're unimportant. And one of the things that I try to um, respectfully explain when I'm ever I'm in a conversation about the merits of vegan versus paleo, first of all, is dispel all the myths about paleo as a all meat diet, but also explain this need for nutrients that, um, when we're actually having a sort of nutrient sufficiency focus of our diet, it means that we're consuming a modest serving of an animal food and lots and lots of vegetables and fruit and nuts and seeds, right? And other, you know, nutrient dense plant-based foods. And, um, and then we can incorporate that with a focus on humanely raised meats and meats that are raised on land that is being reverted to uh, sort of a biodiverse wildland. Um, there's actually no advantage in terms of meat production to grow meat in a feedlot fed monocropped grain. We can actually grow the same amount of meat on land that is, you know, natural pasture land that has hundreds of species of plant growing on it um, and returning to a more decentralized food manufacturer system is a really great way to balance the uh, sort of global environment impact of raising meat with recognizing the human nutritional need for nutrients that come only from animal foods. I think that's... And such a good point. And what I focused on, I know, when it came to Beyond Bacon, the reason we wrote that book is because so many people just eat bacon. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, there's only so much belly on a pig. And it frustrated us that at the time, the community was just big on bacon. I think we've had much more mature conversations since then. But, you know, there's a whole part a whole animal that we wanted to respect that if we're taking the life of that animal, like let's respect it. Let's eat all of it. Let's use the bones. Let's use the skin. It's, you know, like all of these things um, that are really important to me. And I think what's been interesting in these conversations that I'm having with people is that um, mentally, some people are more prepared to eat a chicken breast than they are to eat, for example, broth because it comes from bones and that sounds disgusting. And so I want to put out there this idea that I've been sharing 
both long-term as well as in these individual conversations, which is that we, if we are going to consume an animal product and we are going to take the life of that animal, let's really truly respect that that animal gave its life for our nourishment, which we are part of the animal kingdom. Like, let's be really clear. I know that we like to think of ourselves as separate and living in houses and, you know, the squirrels and the animals are outside and we're inside, but that's not the truth. The truth is we're all animals and we all come from the same kingdom and we're part of that circle of life. And as we've disconnected ourselves further and further from that circle of life, we have disconnected our mentality and we think that meat is this thing that comes in a package and chicken breast looks very benign, you know, and it's it looks like something that's safe to eat and it doesn't bother someone so much as, let's say, ribs because they're on a bone. I remember being a vegetarian and um, desperately wanting to eat ribs, but just being so grossed out by the idea of gnawing on the bones of an animal. And I've since come to realize that it's not okay to only eat the bacon or to only eat the chicken breast, because mm-hmm. then you're you're wasting the rest of that animal's life by not using the rest of the parts of it and how beneficial even just adding something like broth could be to Wesley. You know what I mean? Like there are, there are things that I can ease him into like, well, this, these bones would have been wasted. Like, why don't we just like eat the broth? And then you can get so many of those amino acids that you were talking about Mm -hmm. in a nourishing way for him. If we did add just a few things like you were saying shellfish and broth are the things that would be like my top priority to have him add back in um and would add so much nutrient density to his plate so I think as we start to explore beyond um what this looks like. And we have these conversations with whomever it is in our life that is perhaps, you know, doing this from an ethical perspective. I think truly the ethical thing for me was when we started to really respect the whole animal and consume the whole animal and, and not get skeezed out by the fact that it was a bone, but (laughs) instead be like, well, I don't want all these to be wasted. Like this was a life. I think the other thing that's interesting for me is you know, people have um, an ability to say, especially pescatarians, that fish don't have the same brain and nervous system that mammals have. And so, therefore, from an ethical perspective, it's easier for them to consume that. And if that's your approach, that's great. Because I think pescatarian, as we've discussed several times, is a much healthier option than just vegan or vegetarian. Um, but that concept... Um, changed for me when I realized how many fish needed to, especially smaller fish, right? Like Mm -hmm. um, not just tuna, but uh, let's say tilapia or cod or different kinds of things that are common in people's homes. Um, Think about how many of those animals need to die for the same amount of meat that you would get from one cow. Um, And so that is also another thing for me is like, well, if I consume beef, I'm actually consuming less death than if I'm consuming chicken like that. But as a vegetarian, that's, that's how I truly felt about it. Right. It took me a really long time to get to a, a place where I don't see it that way anymore. But if you're dealing with someone where that's their perspective and they truly, you know, have this, this ethical perspective on, on eating meat, they think of it that way. They think of it as, Mm -hmm. you know, killing an animal. And I think everybody has that right to feel that way. And I, I just think that there are some ways that we can skew that perspective to help 
someone see more broadly how um, they can incorporate meat healthfully. The other thing I would say, and I did not listen to this podcast, but I do know Diana Rogers um, and her work. And I think that there is wonderful things that she's doing to bring um, the normalization of of meat to the forefront as we become a very um, anti-meat society. Um, and one of the things that she said is um, she there was a podcast on the sustainable and healthfulness of fish. Um, and so if you are trying to get someone to go pescatarian, evidently on this podcast, we'll put a, a link in the show notes. I'm springing this on Sarah, so she has no idea about it. <laughs> um, but they talk about how they, if you get a sustainably harvested or wild caught, I'm sorry, not harvested, a wild caught salmon, that it's actually a 98% of its lifespan. So it's like lived its full life and it's going to die anyway. Something about like the, the way that they're catching them in the, in the streams. I, I, um, I used to do research on salmon migration. So if you want me to go into yeah, detail here, please. I have this, then we don't I need to like refer, brain. then we don't need to refer to anywhere else because yeah. this I think is super interesting. And as a vegetarian, this would have been really appealing to me that like, I wasn't necessarily killing something that it was already at the end of its life mm-hmm. cycle. Yeah. Okay. So Having grown up in salmon country and having worked for the Department Look of Fisheries and Oceans. Look at all of your oceans, Canadians coming I out know, today. Right? <laughs> having worked in the, for the Department of Fisheries and Oceans in Canada on uh, salmon migration as, and fisheries management. So salmon, most uh, species of salmon live four to five years. They are one of the few fish that spend part of their lifespan in freshwater and part in the ocean. And so they're actually... Um, they are born in streams, um, and then as the fry sort of get big enough, they move out of the stream and into um, uh, estuary, which is where like the stream and saltwater are mixed, where they spend a little bit of time and they go out into the open ocean. They can't be fished in the open ocean because they're like it, they're so spread out that there's not a way to like predictably catch them. They spend three to four years out in the open ocean. And then they go back to the stream where they were born to mate. They mate once and they die at the end of mating. Uh, so it, it, they, that's their life cycle. And what's really fascinating was the discovery that they don't, they, if they can't, if their way is blocked back to the stream where they were born, they die without mating. Um, so one of the things that, um, Canada has done, and I imagine there's similar programs in the Pacific Northwest in America is these hatchery programs where they have basically, um, revitalized streams by returning the stream to its natural environment and, um, bringing salmon, fertilized salmon eggs to those streams and over the decades, because this was a program that existed, you know, like this, every elementary school where I grew up would have a tank um, with salmon fry. And then we do a field trip where we take the little salmon fry and like release them into the stream. And, um, and that has actually revitalized the um, salmon population, but also protected the salmon as a commodity in Canada. And then what the Canadian government does is set limits on 
uh, where you can fish for the adult salmon, when you can fish for the adult salmon. So as they're coming back to their streams, they suddenly, in the late summer and early fall, they suddenly concentrate in the ocean, like by the shore, and that's when they are fished. So they are fished as they are heading back to their streams to breed and die. Um, the only, In Canada, anyways, the only people who are allowed to take adult salmon out of streams once they get into the stream are the First Nations population there. And, um, and then there's this very careful management of how many salmon are allowed to be caught in the ocean so that enough are getting back to the streams to maintain the population so that you have enough, then the streams are protected and you have enough in the streams so that the fish can lay their eggs and fertilize them. And then, then they litter the stream beds, but that feeds bears. So it's again, circle of life. <laughs> so we watched Lion King this weekend. So I just, there you go. I'm restraining from singing it for you. Um, um, no, that's, that's super cool and helpful. Isn't that cool? Yes. Super cool. And I love that, you know, I can have that conversation and explain unlike a pig or a cow, which is taken from the farm as soon as it's mature or of age, um, although it lived a healthy life, let's say for a year, um, it could have lived a much longer life if it were not on a farm, right? Like the f- meat actually gets tougher over time and it's much more expensive for the farmer to continue to feed the animal. Like once it gets to full size, then it goes to processing. So it's a completely different thought process um, to think of an animal at the end of its life cycle and that being the ideal time in which to um, harvest it. So I love that. And I think that there's a lot of different ways that might resonate with different kinds of people. But I think the important part for me is that all of this is conversation that I'm having with Wesley. And no matter what age a child is, like, I think that the idea and the popularity, <coughs> YouTube, um, of like <laughs> veganism or vegetarianism um, is something that's not just cool because whoever is, you know, they idolize is doing it, but also um, because there is compassion in not wanting to murder something. And when that is the thought process, right, of that's not how I think about it. That's not how Sarah thinks about it. I'm sure that's not how most of our listeners think about it. But um, if that is how someone feels, then there are other things that we can think about to bridge that gap of respecting the life and also respecting our own health. And that's the thing that I, you know, really am trying to get him to understand, which is why, you know, we agreed that it would be a temporary thing because he just felt like it was, you know, something that he'd been thinking about a long time and wanted to try. And like you said, we are a very empowered, supportive family. And so um, it's not in my nature to deny him something he wants as a parent. Um, I would much rather him experience experiment with this under my roof when I can control the things that I know he is eating and I can maximize the things. I'm going to go get some shiitake mushrooms and I'm going to look into natto after this, right? But um, I, you know, already knew that yeast was good. And so he's getting some of that. Um, The other thing that we didn't talk about the show that I am really being pushy with him about is probiotics. Mm -hmm. So we'll talk about that in a minute. But um, from the perspective of him being under my roof and controlling that he's getting all those nutrients, because 
we've talked in the show about my brother. So when I was finished being a vegetarian, Matt somehow got me to eat meat. I mean, honestly, I like have visions of that first date and like just feeling nauseous and sick to my stomach eating, watching him eat that burger. But somehow he made the transition (laughs) into a relationship with me that involved meat consumption. Um, And I educated him on humane and safe. And we found this balance with each other. He actually didn't eat vegetables or fish when I met him. Uh, This is like complete sidebar, but. So you guys merged. We did. And, um, and I think that's what a good partnership is, right? Like we, we took the best of each other and we, we found this balance. Um, But so while I went that direction, my brother went a completely other direction and, and he has been a vegan. So he grew up a vegetarian, but when he went off to college, he became a vegan and he is now in his thirties. So his body hasn't had meat in over 20 years. And I love my brother dearly, but I worry about him so much. Like he, from a nutrient sufficiency perspective, he's very tall. My brother, you met him. Mm -hmm. Um, and he's very lean. Um, and I, but his teeth look good. Like I'm going to be, I'm going to, I'm going to give you the, the good, good, right? Like his skin looks good. His teeth look good. Um, but he's something called Freegan, and I think it's when he finds, like, free Pizza Hut pizza in the trash can that's actually kind of, like, saving his health. But that's a complete sidebar. So, um... Wait, 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 wait. No. Let's, no. I want to... I need to hang on. I need to hold on to that sidebar for a second. <laughs> okay. Before we jump into Freegan means, uh reducing food waste by eating food that would otherwise be thrown out and being vegan the rest of the time? Correct. So... That's- if that's there's hitting, that's hitting a like cool button yes. in my brain. Yes. Like, so he actually, um, I don't know how to, how to explain it. So he partners with some of the restaurants and grocery stores in the area that when they're throwing something out because sell by date, they have to throw something out, but it's not actually bad yet. Um, right. so he actually was part of this program in the city to collect that food and feed it to the homeless and whatever was left over from that, he would actually allow himself to eat. So a lot of it was like fruits was and that vegetables. Part of, um, the fooder, um, app person thing system. I no idea what you just said. Oh, so uh, there's uh, based in Atlanta, a local company uh, created by a woman here. Um, and it's, I'm pretty sure it's no, it's called Gooder, G-O-D-D-R. And basically it's like Uber Eats for food that's about to be thrown out and homeless people or um, people in underserved communities with food insecurity. And it's... Um, like she's basically created this platform where she's basically trying to solve the logistics problem of food going to, you know, that would otherwise get thrown out and go to waste and bringing that food to people who. It sounds like uh, she got rich off of technology that my brother was doing groundwork on for like 10 years. Yes. That's awesome. I love that. I'm going to look into it. Slash amazing entrepreneur that I got to meet at a, um, entrepreneurship, women in entrepreneurship event a couple weeks ago. And she's pretty inspirational. I imagine. Yes. So that's, I, my, (laughs) my brother didn't have modern technology. He doesn't have a driver's license, stuff like that. So I'm pretty sure, (laughs) so, um, that that's, he's living a different kind of life. You know, he's not here in this podcast. Um, (laughs) so anyway, um, 
It's it's like that, yes. But he was doing literal groundwork, and he, like I said, doesn't have a driver's license. He doesn't believe in cars, and so he rides his bike to Trader Joe's, Pizza Hut, Dunkin' Donuts are the three that he told me were his regular pickups. Um, and he would then connect people, like you said, to those um, with food insecurity. And he's doing the analog version of it. He is. Right? He's, yeah. listen, you met my brother, you heard his story. I have, he's just like, no, a, he's, he's a super interesting guy. Yes. Like, yes. yes. Exactly. <laughs> That's all I have to say about that. So, <laughs> um, uh, so, because he consumes occasional um meat like if there was a if there was a pepperoni pizza and it was like going to go to the trash he would eat it because it's otherwise wasteful and i i love that idea right it was like you're not propagating the death that you don't want mm-hmm. to support but if it's already died how much worse is it that it was for nothing you know what i mean so no, I, that's I the really philosophy that. yeah. yeah um okay so that was a complete sidebar tangent yeah, sorry. Um, i needed to dwell on it for a minute but i'm good it's, now it's Move cool on. i'm sure our listeners are just like what in the heck <laughs> <laughs> Um, listen, my brother has also been in like documentaries and all kinds of stuff. Like if you ever want to talk about the interestingness of my brother, like just hit me up. It's crazy cool. Um, so anyway, uh, what I have been focusing on with Wesley is adding in probiotics. So let's talk about this a little bit, because as I said, he's our paleo baby he's never had beans he's never you know other than like some soy oil and stuff or whatever he hasn't had soy he hasn't had a lot of corn he hasn't had lentils and he we basically just went to the store and bought a bunch of those proteins that you listed um so i'm just gonna point out the ones that are gluten-free and vegan because that's what we have to work with right so that was um Soy protein isolate, garbanzo beans, cooked rice, cooked peas, lentils, rolled oats, tofu, red kidney beans, black beans, roasted peanuts, almonds, and rice protein concentrate. And it goes in, you know, order of the amount of protein um, from 0.9 to soy protein isolate to 0.37 for rice protein that you were talking about. So I went to the store. Um, basically with this list in my head, I wouldn't have imagined rice so high. So I'm kind of excited about that. Um, but I knew about, um, all the other ones basically being beans and peas and peanuts. Um, and so none of those are things that are really on the top of our food chain. Like we don't eat legumes and we don't, um, our family actually does do some peanuts, but not like, it's not a food staple for us. Um, and so his body is taking on digestion that it's never had to take on before. Now, I do think that his gut health is more well suited to take this on than anybody else's in the family because he has had tremendous gut health his entire life because he's never had standard American food. He's never had McDonald's or any of that kind of stuff. And so, um, Uh, It has been an interesting experience. He came home. So today is day three and he came home from school yesterday. So the full second day. And um, the first thing I asked him was, did you fart in school? (laughs) And he giggled. (laughs) He giggled and he was like, yeah, twice, but I don't think they heard me. And then he kind of gave me a side eye and he's like, "Mm, they knew it was loud. (laughs) 
<laughs> and I was like, um, but I am kind of impressed that like with all of the stuff that he's eating, that the worst that he had was he farted twice in school. And I do think that that is in part because I am pushing probiotics in him. So um, I had him do his Thrive probiotics in the morning. And then I am also having him do a forager smoothie. Um, and a forager smoothie is paleo friendly as well. It's like a cashew based um, smoothie with live probiotic. And then the one that I got for him is strawberry flavored. Um, and so it's, it's clean ingredients with a lot of live probiotics. So in the morning, he actually takes his thrive probiotic with the forager smoothie. Um, and I have never been diligent about having the kids take probiotics. We do, you know, kombucha and, you know, whatever. And I personally take the Thrive Probiotics every day. We've talked about this before. Mm. But um, I am not very diligent about having the kids do it. So with him, I'm like, okay, time for a probiotic. You know what I mean? I'm like, you're going to be eating beans today. Um, So I thought maybe we could talk a little bit about supporting the gut if you or someone you love, or if your kid is like, I'm going to try vegetarianism, like it's not just about the the proteins and the nutrients, right? It's also like, this is a change to gut health and we need to be as on top of helping to support the gut as we can. Yeah. So one of the things that I don't think I've had the opportunity to talk about uh, sort of publicly yet, but, um, is getting, uh, some heavy, heavy duty, uh, time in my new book that I'm trying to finish up, um, is actually the role of animal foods in the gut microbiome, um, which is something that is really relevant, I think, to vegans especially, but vegetarians as well. So, um, a lot of the initial work on the gut microbiome was very focused on the bacterial species and in general, the bacteria in our gut, um, they definitely do love omega-3 fats. So fish is a great food for our gut microbiome. And there's definitely some interesting research showing even that fish protein is really good for the gut microbiome, looking at our gut bacteria. But the sort of classic is, you know, high fruit and vegetable fiber intake um, and nuts and seeds, right? Like those are the foods that are really, really important in eating a diversity of them. And we've talked about this definitely on the show before. I mean, it's not it's not really earth shattering to say that our gut microbiome cares about how much vegetables we eat. Like that's a, that makes sense to um, most people, right? Like, yeah, that they eat the vegetable fiber that we can't digest. What's really interesting is that there's um, more research really just from like the last year, maybe two years on what's called the mycobiome, which is the fungal species that live in our gut. Um, Like candida, right? Like people sort of heard of candida as a yeast, yeast or or fungi, Um, but more importantly, the Saccharomyces um, species. And um, also archaea, which are sort of bacteria-like. And we we talked about... um, on uh, the podcast not that long ago in terms of their ability to break down methane-based molecules. Um, But what's really fascinating is that both um, probiotic fungi and archaea um, really thrive when we are consuming some animal foods. And they work together with some important bacteria to help 
break down some toxins in our digestive tract and help digest, you know, what is hard for our body to digest. Um, so ba- basically our, the food for our gut bacteria is the things that are not particularly compatible with our digestive enzymes. But then if you don't have the right bacteria, then there's things that can pass through the digestive tract without getting digested. And so, um, so what's really fascinating is, you know, as I'm trying to wrap up this book, I, I decided to, um, to drop all of the, you know, everything that I know about nutrition, right? Cause everything I know about nutrition is really focused on human cells. So like, let's just put that to the side and start building, uh, an optimal diet and lifestyle based on what is good for the gut microbiome. That was sort of my strategy with this gut microbiome book. It's not going to be a paleo book, although the, you know, as anybody who's familiar with my work at the end of the day will be like, Oh, it looks a lot like paleo. Um, but, but what's been fascinating to me is starting to dig into this research beyond bacterial strains and realizing that there is another argument for omnivorism from our gut microbiomes using the term microbiome as a catch-all for every type of microbe that, that lives in there. So what that means is uh, some of these really important species can um, die off with a vegetarian or vegan diet, just like you could lose some of the important bacterial species by going carnivore um, or even standard American diet that's very you know, high in refined carbohydrates and not actually high in the type of, uh, you know, fiber and high amylose starches that feed our, our gut bacteria. So that actually is a very good argument for something like Thrive Probiotic, which um, they have, oh, I want to say 15 clinical trials in the works now. It's something like that. It's It's a really impressive number of clinical trials. And they've um, they've started publishing them and I, I was able to, um, have a conversation at PaleoFX last year with, um, their head of clinical research about some of the early results. And I don't know if I am allowed to say what they are. So I will give a, um, like super 20,000 foot view of, um, what's really fascinating about the clinical trials is that they're showing that, the Thrive probiotic isn't just helping those, you know, five, four or five species that are in that, um, that are all soil-based organisms. It's not just about them, they're keystone species, and they help other really important probiotic species thrive. Like they basically create an environment that means that lots of other important strains that are more sensitive to our diet and lifestyle are happier. And they're showing in their research this really beneficial effect to the entire microbial community by reintroducing these soil-based organisms that we don't get exposure to in our sort of overly hygienic lives compared to ye olden days when we grew our own food in the backyard and played in the dirt and didn't have disinfecting hand soap. So, um, so all that to say, you know, there is this like additional effect of dietary changes on the gut microbiome that depending on what the diet is might be great or might not be. Um, and in the context of a diet that is missing something that's really important for the gut microbiome, like veganism, that's where probiotics, probiotics are, 
over the long term are probably not going to be enough to protect against those microbial uh, shifts. But certainly over a short-term diet like what Wes is doing, um, I would say um, stuffing him with Thrive Probiotic makes a whole lot of sense. I am fascinated but not at all surprised about the study results on that probiotic because I have said before, and this show isn't even (laughs) sponsored by them, (laughs) um, I have said before, that is the absolute best probiotic I have Mm -hmm. ever taken. I see and feel a difference when I take it. And I have never felt that way before about any supplement of probiotics. So that said, I do think that pumping him full of (laughs) of that stuff when he's... um, I also um, got him Bubby's Pickles, which are a fermented probiotic probiotic. some other fermented things that kids might mm-hmm. be inclined to is like the GT's mango kombucha. We, we chose not to do that. We did the forager smoothie instead because he needs more <laughs> calories. Um, but yeah, I think there's, there's a lot of um, value in adding probiotics to help his little gut handle all the stuff we're throwing at it this week. But I will tell you, I had uh, quite a happy moment yesterday. I felt so badly that I made the tofu delicious. And then yesterday I made him like a wrap with the jackfruit barbecue. And um, he was looking at it. He was like, oh, this looks so good. You know, he was all excited. And then he tried it and he was like, no. <laughs> I was like, no. And um, so then he went and got, I made basically like a big batch of the tofu so he could just like have it anytime. And what I did is I used like a big batch of roasted vegetables like we made on Thanksgiving. And we talked about last week that roasted balsamic root vegetables. And I like mixed it with the tofu so that um, it was kind of like an all-in-one meal that he could just grab whenever we were eating something else because I'm not making separate meals for him every night. We're not short order cooks. So he did have to help make the things because now he's basically causing the family extra work. I'm like, okay, well, you're going to help do it. I'm not, even though you're nine. And if he were even Finn's age, but definitely Cole's age, like if he were a teenager, he would be doing it all by himself. But yeah. He's not, he's nine. So he helped me prepare it and cook it. And then we stored it. And that way, whenever we're eating, whatever it is we're eating, he has, I know, a complete meal. He can just like go eat, you know, that's healthy for him. So, um, relatively speaking, <laughs> like face bomb. Uh, kind of rich in phytoestrogens, but you know, you know, but you know, other, like, other than those things, you know, yeah. Um, listen, I'm not saying I'm eating it. And honestly, when I'm preparing it, it touches my hand, <laughs> my face. And you're like, no, my hand's contaminated with soy. <laughs> yeah, but uh, several people have asked me about gluten because they're like, oh, gluten-free vegan is so hard. I'm like, yeah, it is. It took me two hours at the grocery store to read every single label and to figure out. And there are not a lot of options. I mean, I'm in one of the most healthy minded areas in the States. We have whole foods and health food stores like every mile. It's not, I didn't have to drive 20 minutes to go to the store. Right. Like, and so the fact that I have all of these options and yet I'm walking through the store and I'm like, Oh, canola oil. Mm -hmm. Nope. You're already getting enough of this other stuff. I'm not going to add canola oil to the mix, you know, like, and I, I have to go through all of that. It's, it's hard, you know? And, but we do not eat gluten in this house, period. Like I, 
the the nature of my sensitivity to gluten is not is such that it's not allowed in the house. And so just because he's doing a vegan experiment doesn't mean that our rules change. Like we don't eat legumes. If he wants to eat legumes, that's not on the blacklist. But um, I'm not going to have gluten come into the house. So there are ways that you can find healthier foods. I did save a highlight bubble on my Instagram and I'm sharing the, the things that we're making for him. I don't want to encourage people to eat this way, but... I do want to save because I heard from so many people whose kids are going through this because they see their, you know, influencers being vegetarian or vegan and they want to give it a try. And for most people, they say it doesn't last longer than six months, which is great. Um, Or they're still doing vegetarian and can do eggs and dairy and some other things that'll get you a lot of those nutrients. Um, But if you are looking like, let's say you're hosting Thanksgiving, like I host Thanksgiving and you're looking for, you know, some some foods that'll meet both criteria. Um, There are a lot of things there that are both paleo and vegan. So, again, none of this is sponsored, but there's a brand called Swapples. Um, And Sarah, I think you would actually really love these because I know how your girls love things in the toaster. But it's like um, compressed cassava almost like a waffle, but it's really much more dense than a waffle. Um, and they make like an everything bagel blend kind of thing there, you know, it's like poppy seeds and, um, garlic in one. And then they have another, that's my favorite, the blueberry one. Um, you can put just ghee on it or what we got for him is like, um, I always pronounce it wrong, but like the Mykonos cream cheese, which is like a coconut oil based. Again, that's a paleo friendly thing. There's no crazy ingredients in it for a lot of people that are dairy free. That's your go to brand for butter and cream cheese. You can get it at like Trader Joe's or Whole Foods or anything like that. So we got him things that are both paleo and vegan as much as I could. But then as we've discussed, like he needed protein that we don't eat um, to make up some of that other thing. So there you have it. If you want to go check those out, I did save a highlight bubble for you, friends. And hopefully by the time this podcast goes live, he won't be vegan anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I hope that this conversation both helped other parents who might have children who want to go vegan or have gone vegan, um, help them feel, uh, like they're not alone in <laughs> the struggle is real, but it's, it is a, you know, you're right, Stacy. like, I, and I wouldn't be surprised if we have some variation of this happen in the future with my youngest Mira, because she, you know, we have to have a lot of conversations about humanely raised meat with her as well. So I'm, I'm taking, I'm definitely taking notes. Um, but hopefully there's lots of valuable information in this podcast to, um, you know, empower you with the knowledge to engage in the conversation. Um, and even though they didn't sponsor the show, I thought it'd be great to just throw out that you can save 15% uh, off of just thrive probiotic with the code paleoview 15. Um, and you can go to thriveprobiotic.com slash the paleo view to make that order. And, you know, we do really love them. That's, you know, we love all our sponsors. We only take sponsors for the podcast that we actually use and love ourselves. So I thought I should throw that out there. Thank you for being on top of that. Cause I'm just over here face palming on the struggle bus, trying to figure out how I'm going to get my son to eat meat. So <laughs> I'm looking forward to our update on the West vegan phase next week. 
I I hope to report back that pancakes are back in the mix. (laughs) He's quite disappointed that all bread products contain eggs. Like that's, that's his thing. So I think the first thing that he'll say yes to, if he doesn't just like go all the way back in, which he might do, but I think the first thing that he would say yes to is eggs because that's been the most limiting factor for him. So... All right. Thanks so much, listeners. If you enjoyed the show, if you find it useful, the best thing that you can do is share it in your community or um, leave a review so that others can find it if they're thinking about downloading and listening to the show. We love it when you engage with us on social media so that it gets a broader reach. Thanks, social media algorithms. Not so much. Um, (laughs) And we will be back again next week. And thank you so much for being here. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to The Paleo View. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes. You can also support us by shopping for our favorite paleo products on the sidebars of our individual websites or by donating through PayPal. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.